Well, you can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. As we continue through this incredible book, seeking to live worthy of our calling, and here we are parked in a little section of chapter 4, looking at the signs of a healthy church. What does a healthy church look like? We want to be a healthy church, don't we? Summit Bible Church, we want to grow in health together. And so we have to know what a healthy church looks like, God's design, God's way, not what the world or the internet or anybody else is trying to tell us about how to grow a church, how to be a healthy church, etc. We want to look at God's design from the scriptures. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4, and today we'll be looking at the last two verses of this section, verses 15 and 16. But a quick review. Let's go through our sermon titles. And look at the signs of a healthy church. We looked at first week, a healthy church lives worthy of the calling. Secondly, we saw that a healthy church is zealously united in patient love. Thirdly, a healthy church has variety in the unity. Fourthly, a healthy church is equipped by gifted ministers. And last week, we saw that a healthy church is Christ-like, not childlike, mature, not immature. And finally, the last sign of a healthy church, at least in this pack, uh, passage, is that a healthy church grows. A healthy church grows. That's what we're going to focus on. That's what these two verses focus on this week. Growth is a vital sign of health. When you take your children to their routine checkup at the doctors, what do the doctors measure? They measure their height and their weight. What are the doctors looking for? Well, they're looking for growth, signs of growth. The same is true of plants. Normally, a healthy plant will grow. And if the child or the plant is not growing or not developing, there's a problem. There's a problem that must be diagnosed. And so, the same is true of the church. A healthy church will grow. And that's not talking about numbers only. Numbers could be a sign of growth, but there are other ways to grow as a health, uh, as a church. There's spiritual growth. And if the church is not growing, it's unhealthy and there's a problem that should be diagnosed. Unlike a child maturing to adulthood, a healthy church does not stop growing. There's a point in our lives, we all know it, when we stop growing, at least height-wise. <laughs> but obviously, we reach a certain maturity in life, and, and as human beings, we stop growing. Some of us start to shrink as we get older. That's not the case for a healthy church. A healthy church continues to grow. It's a lifelong process. There's always room to grow because as we saw last week, the measure of the stature is Jesus Christ. We will never be perfect like Christ, will we? And so there's always ways that we can grow, ways that we can mature. And so this is a lifelong corporate endeavor. And so this morning, we're gonna look at five important attributes of growth. Five different ways, you could say, that we can grow together. Five attributes of growth that must characterize our church. And yes, kids, if you follow along in your outlines, fill those things out, you will receive a reward soon. So make sure you fill those outlines out and bring those back every week for the day that you might receive a reward. And this will just help you kind of tag along with us through this series. Okay, so number one, I'm going to be very clear with the words that fill out those outlines. The first attribute of growth are the words of growth. The words of growth. And the two words, the two blanks that you want to look at or, or see the emphasis in are truth and love. The words of growth are truth and love. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 15, with me. It says, rather, 
speaking the truth in love. Do you see that in the text? The word rather is an important conjunction. It provides a contrast, doesn't it? A contrast to what was previously said in the previous verses. The previous verse, if you remember, it was a negative. It's talking about the children that were tossed to and fro. It's talking about immaturity. And so this, te- uh, this text that we have before us uh, contrasts with a positive attribute. It describes maturity and growth. And the two words that we're going to look at are speaking the truth in love. Two very important words that should characterize our speech. The words that we say. May they be both true and in love. What is the truth? Maybe we should define terms here. What is the truth? Ultimately, the truth is God's word. The truth is God's word. Jesus said in John 17, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is what? True. The truth is God's word. Now, what is love? I'm going to put it simply. Love is God's heart. Love is God's heart. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows, demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, you can think of it this way, speaking the truth in love is speaking God's words with God's heart. It's speaking the truth with a motive of love. God's words with God's heart. Truth and love, two words that ought to be inseparable in your vocabulary. I don't know if you've heard this before, but some people talk about truth and love being on two sides of a spectrum. And all of us fall on the spectrum somewhere. They, They would say maybe some fall on the spectrum more towards truth. That is, you might be a person that's not afraid to just speak the truth whenever it counts, and sometimes even when it doesn't count. You just say what's right. You're the constant reminder of what is true, what is accurate, what are the facts. Maybe you would consider yourself on the truth side of the spectrum. Then there's others who are more on the love side of the spectrum. These are the very kind, warm, I'm not going to say it just because I don't want to offend the person. Maybe I'm not going to speak up because... I don't want to make a big stink about something that, you know, we could just ignore it. Let's just brush it under the rug. I'm going to love on them. Have you heard that phrase? Oh, I just want to love on them. And maybe you consider where you fall on the spectrum. But here, listen, the illustration stops here because there is no spectrum. There's no uh, biblical spectrum between truth and love. The two are not opposed to each other. The two are not opposites. We must have both. Both must characterize our speech. So either you lack love or you lack the truth. They should both be together, inseparable. In other words, or let me just say this, you'll never be in a situation where one is required without the other. In other words, there's never an excuse For speaking words that are true, but lack the heart of love. Never an excuse for it. There's never an excuse to be harsh. Never an excuse to nag, to slander, to shame, to put down, to escalate the argument, even if what you say is true. There's no biblical case for that kind of language. I mean, the closest I can find to in the example of Jesus or in exhortations in the rest of Scripture to uh, being sharp with words is when you rebuke a false teacher in order to protect the flock. Jesus did that. He rebuked the Pharisees time and time again. Right, The Apostle Paul calls us to rebuke, to refuse, to ignore a false teacher. 
And so we may sometimes speak harshly with them, but I would even make a case that that ought to be done in love. But I'm, I'm guessing that's not really our problem, is it? How many of us interact daily with false teachers? <laughs> not a lot. Uh, you know what our problem is more often? The way we talk with our spouse. The way we speak to our children. The way we interact with coworkers. Employers, employees, the way we talk with fellow church members, the way we talk about the stranger who cut us off on the freeway, those are the words that cause problems in our lives. And I'm telling you, the text is telling us here that we are to speak the truth in love. Don't separate the truth from love. They're always tethered together. 1 Corinthians 13, you know the passage, it makes a case that your truth words, even if it's prophetic, without love, is like a noisy symbol. At best, it's annoying. At worst, it's absolutely worthless. Words without love don't count. doesn't matter how true they are. Our motive should always be love. Now, conversely, for those lovers out there, there's never an excuse for avoiding the truth in the name of love. You know, some don't correct their children because they feel like, well, that is unloving. Some don't want to confront a sinning brother or sister because they feel like it's unloving. Or I'm not going to speak up when my coworkers are making fun of my faith or they're making fun of Christianity because I don't want to be known as the unloving Bible thumper. Or I don't share the gospel with strangers because I don't want to offend them. I'll just love on them, which is a popular phrase thrown around. I'll love on them. This is loving forsaking the truth, forsaking to say or speak the truth. Imagine with me your spouse. I've used this illustration before. Imagine your spouse or your child or your closest friend. Pick the one you love the most, (laughs) okay? Don't say it out loud. Imagine they are walking toward a cliff and they are blindfolded. What are you going to do? I'll tell you what you will not do if you truly love them. You're not going to walk up to them, put your arm around their shoulder and say, you want to know something? I love you. I just want to come alongside, encourage you, pat you on the back. You're doing a great job. You need to know from the bottom of my heart that I love you more than anything else. I'm always here for you when you need me. As you're walking with them, talking to them, they're walking toward this cliff. And I just want you to know that, all right? And then you walk away. You know what my conclusion would be if you did that to your loved one? It's not that you love them. It's actually, I, I would think that you, would, you hate them. You lied to them. In avoiding to tell them the truth, and, and you don't love them at all. In fact, you want them to die. You want them to perish. Because you didn't tell them the truth. They're blindfolded walking toward a cliff. I'll tell you what you would do if, you're, if you truly love the person that's in this situation. You would sprint over to them. You would maybe approach them gently with some tact, but at the end of the day, you're going to grab them by their shoulders, turn them around, and tell them, you're walking toward a cliff. You're blindfolded. Stop, right? That's love, That's a display of love that is untethered from the truth. Your motive is their best. Brothers and sisters, this is the spiritual reality. Every person is blinded and walking toward their doom. Don't tell me you're just loving on them if you've not yet shared Christ. Or if you've not yet called them to repentance, a sinning Brother or sister, you need to, in love, speak the truth. We cannot untether 
Truth and love, they must always be together. So we ask ourselves two questions before we speak. Two questions before we speak. Here's the first one. What do I need to say? The answer is always the truth. What do I need to say? The answer is always the truth. Now here's the second question that must go with it. How do I need to say it? The answer is always in love. What do I need to say? You need to speak the truth. How do I need to say it? It always needs to be said in love. In a way that is seeking the best for the other person. That shows them and displays not a fake, but a genuine love for them. And a care for their soul. Colossians 4, 6. This verse should be on the screen. It says, let your speech always be gracious. seasoned with salt. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, was the ultimate example of this. Speaking the truth in love, John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Summit Bible Church, may we be a growing church characterized by words of truth and love. Truth and love. Don't separate the two. The second attribute of growth that we see here in the text is, listen up kids, the direction of growth. The direction of growth. And the direction of growth is towards Jesus Christ. Look back at Ephesians 4.15. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This is what we talked about last week. This is the direction of our growth. The end, the finish line, if you remember, is to know Christ personally, intimately, relationally. And then it is to grow to become more like him. And like we said, that's a lifelong Endeavor. If you can think of it this way, the path of Christian growth ends with Jesus. Churches that are growing are growing in conformity to his image. And so if you're looking for a sign of growth, don't look first at the attendance record. Don't look first at how many ministries they offer. Don't look first to necessarily how old the church is or how old the members are. Amen we are looking to see if they reflect the image of Christ. If you were to walk into that church, do they grow each and every Sunday to look more like Him? You can remember it this way as well. Simple illustration, you know which way a plant grows, don't you? Plants grow up towards what? The sun, the source of its life. Similarly, towards what does the healthy church grow? Toward the Son of God. Also the source of our life. So Jesus is, also, all, all, is the end of our growth, but he is also the source of growth, which leads us to the third attribute here. The third attribute is the source of growth, and it is from Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting? The prepositions change here, right? Between the verses. Look at 15 again. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then look at, look at 16. From whom the whole body. So we not only grow towards Jesus, we grow out from him. He is the source of our growth. He provides, in a sense, the nutrition of our growth. It is from Jesus Christ. The church grows into his likeness and from his power. Now, we know that it is ultimately Jesus Christ who grows his church. Amen? Wasn't it Jesus who said himself in Matthew 16, I will build my church? That's a promise. That's a promise we could take to the bank because it was made by the Lord Jesus himself. He says, even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
Ultimately, growth comes from Christ. Colossians 2.19 is another good cross-reference to this passage. It essentially says the same thing. The head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. The growth of the church depends ultimately on God on Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.29 is another statement of growth that comes from Christ. No one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Jesus Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. And so the source of our growth, it comes from Jesus. The growth of the church is not ultimately dependent upon the charisma of the leaders. It's not ultimately dependent upon the happiness of the volunteers or the business-like growth strategies or an effective outreach plan. Those things can be helpful, but they're not the ultimate source of growth. It all comes from Jesus Christ. We are utterly dependent upon Jesus Christ, Summit, Summit Bible Church. You understand that? We're utterly dependent upon him. He grows the church. He grows us individually and corporately. We depend upon him. Now, I know that you all rationally assent to that truth. You would all affirm that. Amen. Christ grows and builds the church. Here's the question I have for you. Have you effectively plugged into the source what do I mean by that? Are you plugged into the source of power? Like a plug goes into the wall, are you plugged into Jesus Christ? Because I know so many Christians that theologically assent, yeah, Christ will grow me. My growth depends on Jesus. Our growth collectively depends on Jesus. But they live the Christian life unplugged from the power source, unplugged from him. What do I mean by that? Here, here's some characteristics of Christians who assent to the idea of being plugged in, but they are not plugged in. These people know a lot about the Holy Spirit, but they don't walk by the Spirit or produce the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. These people know a lot about the Bible, but they don't seek the face of God every day by reading their Bibles, being nourished by their Bibles, or being nourished in disciplined prayer. These people know a lot about what they're supposed to do in the church, but they don't actually contribute. They don't participate. Hebrews chapter five, chapters 5 and 6 says you're drinking milk and barely anything if that. You're not ready for solid food because you're not growing. You're not growing because you're not seeking the nourishment of Christ. And the nourishment of Christ comes from these various means of grace that he provides to us. Discipline Bible reading, prayer, serving with each other and serving each other. And if you're not really plugging into Christ for your nourishment and growth, then you're going to fade away. You're going to start running on fumes like a car that's running out of gas. You're going to burn out. You're going to become lifeless without the source of growth, which is Jesus. How do you plug in? How do you pull from the nutrition and the nourishment of Christ. How do you grow out of Christ? Here are some ideas. Write these down. Start with a plan. Start with a plan, Christian. A personal plan for you that will help and benefit the church. Include in your plan a designated time each day to draw from the well of God's word. Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. And not just to make it a routine or a, a you know, a, a disciplined habit, but genuinely seek the face of God in his word. Seek to build a relationship with him, to be nourished by his 
word and prayer at that. Be, make a plan to pray in a disciplined way, daily. Include in your plan opportunities to get to know more people in the church, get more involved, to know and to be known, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Also include in your plan a designated place to serve in the church, exercising the gift that Christ has given you. Write out your plan, because without a plan, it'll never happen. How many times have we said, oh, yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll get around to that. Or I'm going to just be more intentional about that. But it never happens. Anybody else guilty of that? I'll, I'll be the first to admit, that's me. You know why it doesn't happen? There's no plan. There's no structure to actually get it going. So make a plan, Christian, to plug into Christ. Because without the plan, it will never happen. May we be a church, a growing church, plugged in to the power source plugged into Jesus Christ by the means of grace he's provided to us to grow, to benefit and grow. Number four, the fourth attribute of growth are the means of growth described here in verse 16. The means of growth. And the tagline here is when each part is connected and working. When each part is connected and working. Look at the text. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. So in one verse we're revisiting the topic that we previously looked at, we see the variety and the unity and the importance of both. Joined and held together. What's that describing? The unity that we must maintain. You remember that? And then when each part is working, what's that describing? The variety. The various gifts all playing their part in the function of the church. And so first, we must be connected. We must be connected, plugged into Christ primarily, and also connected with each other. Do you see that in the text? Join and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. What is a joint? Most basically, it's a connection point between two functioning parts. We must be connected to each other, Summit Bible Church. One of the more annoying things in life is setting up Christmas lights, setting them all up, plugging them all in, and then looking and seeing, uh, I got a dark spot. There's a blank out or a blackout, right, in the stream of lights. So what do you have to do? You have to go to that light strand and figure out what the problem is. Is it plugged in? Are they connected? Is it a busted fuse in one of the bulbs? So you test each one individually, and then you find out, oh, this was the problem, the bulb or the missing connection. You fix it, and then it all works again. You can find in a church, a church that is, has disputes, disruptions, disagreements, you see them as black spots or dark spots in the church. What you'll find when you investigate the issue is that there is a disconnection somewhere. There's a disconnection. Either the individual that is disconnected is disconnected from Christ, walking in sin, walking in the opposite direction of Jesus, not toward him, or they are disconnected to members in the body. They're disconnected to other people. There's a disconnection, and that must not be so. The body will only grow when it is joined and held together. The disconnection, even that one individual that's causing the ruckus will affect other individuals around them in the church. We must be connected one to each other. So let me ask you this, Christian. Are you truly connected to our church? Are you truly connected? Let me ask it a different way. I think this is more helpful for people. 
Do you know others well, and are you known by others well? It's a two-way street, right? Connections, relationships in the church. So do you know others well? Do you know them well enough to pray for them? Do you know them well enough to know the biggest concerns or the biggest joys in their life? And do they know you well enough to when things get hard in life, when you're struggling with something, there's people, not family, but church family that knows what you're going through? Do you know others well and do they know you well? If the answer's no, then ask yourself if you could be disconnected from the church. You're not joined and held together. There, there's a disconnection somewhere. And that shouldn't be so in the church. We ought to be connected. Very important. What's also important is not only that we're connected, but that each part is working. Each part is working. When each part is working properly, the text says, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. It could be reworded to say when each individual part is working according to its measure. Do you remember when we looked and saw that Christ distributes the gifts and he distributes to each person according to a measure? And it's different. We have different capacities, different interests, different gifts that Christ has given to us. Our job is simply to exercise our gift according to the measure that Christ gave it. The question is, are you doing that? The question I asked you a couple weeks ago, are you doing your job? Whatever it may be. However Christ has gifted you and given you measures of your giftedness. I mean, this verse here, this little section could be just translated into plain English this way. When each person is doing their job, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. The Apostle Paul pr provides a great illustration of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Would you turn there in your Bibles? 1 Corinthians 12, get those fingers moving. It might get some blood flowing to the rest of your body and back up to the brain for the rest of this message. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 15 to 25. Paul illustrates the unity and variety in the body by comparing it to a body, an actual human body that has different parts, but they're all connected together, working together, and every part is necessary. You remember a couple months ago, uh, actually back last year in the fall, we had Nigel Shaler come, and he preached a message called, I need you and you need me. He preached out of this passage. The idea is that we need every person in this room. We need you. But each individual also needs us. I need you. You need me. And look at the text here. 1 Corinthians 12, 15. Start with 14. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Each person plays a part. Each member has a job. And if they don't do their job, what happens? All of a sudden, the body can't hear. All of a sudden, the body can't see. All of a sudden, the body can't do, can't function. Each part needs to do their job, and they have all been given different parts. Look at verse 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
Maybe except for the appendix. Well, we just haven't figured that one out. Just to make sure you're still listening. Okay, verse 23. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. We cover those up. Which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Here's Paul's point there. We need everybody. There is not a quote-unquote lesser gift in the body. You know, we t- typically think of gifts of like service, kind of behind-the-scene gifts as less important. Well, the pastors, man, they have the really important gifts. Yes, they're very necessary, but me, I'm just a servant. Or I just like to serve behind it, so I'm not as important. That's not what the Apostle Paul says in this text. What does he say? He says, if anything, you're more important. Those, quote-unquote, weaker parts are indispensable. We need you. We need you, servant. We need those of you who are compassionate, merciful, making phone calls behind the scenes, loving people that are struggling, showing mercy to those who need. We need you. We need you functioning in the body. And your gift is important, as well as ours. We all have a part. We all have a job. Each member connected and working and working. That question, again, to ask yourself is, am I doing my job? Am I doing my job? Summit Bible Church, may we be a growing church, corporately connected and united, yet individually working and different. That gives God glory. And the last attribute, kids, here we go, the last fill out in your outline It's definitely not the least, though. The heart of growth. The heart of growth. We cannot miss this last prepositional phrase. The heart of growth is love. Love. Ephesians chapter 4, 15 and 16, ends with this prepositional phrase. Let's, I'm going to just read both verses together again and emphasize the last part. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Love is essential. One commentator writes that love is the sphere sphere by which the body grows. It's the environment in which the body grows. See, love is not only a, an essential motive of our speech, our words, but it is the central motive behind every action. Everything we do, Christian, must be done in love. In love. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, Let all that you do be done in love. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. We already saw in 1 Corinthians 13 that Anything done without love, you could move a mountain without love and it doesn't matter. Because without love, it's worthless. It's pointless. James 2.8 says this, If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. 1 John 4.16 So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in his love abides in God, and God abides in him. If you're looking for one fruit on the tree, 
one fruit growing from the healthy church tree, what should be undeniable, most pronounced, clearer than any other fruit, is the fruit of love. Summit Bible Church, if there's one mark, one sign that we want labeled on Summit Bible Church, it is that we are a church that loves. We are a church that loves. And it's not the worldly, emotional, ooey-gooey, cuddly love. This is true, sacrificial love. It is the love of Christ. What are the two greatest commands? The greatest commands the Lord Jesus told us to love God, right? First, our first love is God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second is what? Love your neighbor. Is there anything more important than that? Jesus says no. Love. Love. Do you remember the indictment from the Lord Jesus himself to the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation? They were a church committed to the truth. Jesus commends them and says, man, you did a really good job fighting off those false teachers. Man, you guys are doing a good job preaching the word. You guys are committed to the truth. But this, what does he say? This I have against you. Verse 4, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Oh, what, a, what a punch to the gut. What good is the prophecy? What good is the miracle? What good is the preaching of God's word if it is not done in love? What good, Christian, is your Bible reading? What good is your disciplined prayer life? What good is the way that you raise your children if it is not done in love? Christian, what, what good is your religious duty? What, what good is all the service that you put in to set up and tear down this church every Sunday? What, what good is the meal that you made for that neighbor if it is not done in love? Love is so important. It needs to be the motive that drives every car, every machine in our life. Love is at the center. And Christian, if you've lost your love, you need to go back to the love of God displayed at the cross. Do you still love? The Ephesians lost or they've abandoned their first love. The question is, do you Christians still love? Does love drive you to your knees in worship every morning? Does love compel you to share the gospel with strangers? Does love force you to forgive your brother and your sister even when they've sinned against you? Does love press you to meet the needs of those who are suffering? Are you obliged by the love of God to serve in the church? Are you bound by the love of God to wholly give yourself to your spouse and to your children? Do you still love? Jesus loved, didn't he? Love drove him early in the morning to pray to his father. Love compelled him to share the good news of the kingdom with strangers, even the outcasts. Love forced him to forgive his oppressors and abusers. Love pressed him to meet the needs of those who were suffering around him. He was obliged by the love of God to serve the church by dying for her. He, bound by love, wholly gave himself to his bride, giving himself to his children his whole life. If you lack love, Repent and turn to Jesus Christ. Turn to Jesus Christ for true love. Summit Bible Church, may we be a growing church that never abandons the heart of love. God's heart for our church is that we would have his heart and love him and love others. So that's it. Five attributes of growth. Next question I have for you is, are you in? Are you ready? Do you want to contribute to the growth of Summit Bible Church? Do you want to contribute to the health of our church? Because it depends on you. 
Ultimately, it depends on the Lord Jesus, amen? But it also depends on every part that's working properly. So there's dozens of ways that you individually can start working to help us corporately. And there's a dozens of ways that we can all do this together. I'm going to list now a bunch of practical applications that'll get you going. It's essentially a plan to have you help you do something with the messages that have been preached. You can write down one that sticks out to you or star it in your mind. But I encourage you to write something down because, again, it doesn't happen without a plan. Here's the first point of application after we looked at what a healthy church looks like. Sign up to serve. Sign up to serve somewhere. We need help every Sunday setting up and tearing down this whole thing we've got going on. You can contribute by signing up to serve in that way. You could also sign up to serve in our coming children's ministry. That's coming soon. There are specific ways that we still need help to pull that off. We need additional teachers and child care workers for the zero to five years. So if that uh, hits you and you want to serve in that way, you can sign up to serve in the back. We need helpers. These are co-laborers, co-teachers in a sense for the zero to five classroom. We uh, need a husband and wife team or a, a duo a, that would help teach the first and third classes. You can teach and instruct those young ones. And then we need willing teachers for the fifth to six, uh, or sorry, fourth to six years. So we have three classrooms or three major needs from the zero to five, from the first to third, and from the fourth to six. Of course, for some of those teaching roles, you need to be a, re need to be a member of Summit Bible Church. But if you have a heart to do that, and you are a member, sign up to serve today. One of the ways that you can grow in your knowledge of God is you can go through the new discipleship packet that has been made, Salvation in the Christian Life. There's a preview into that on the resource table back there if you're interested in that. Go through the discipleship packet with a veteran so that you would grow a strong foundation in the Word of God. You can ask Thomas about the Bible survey to grow even further in your knowledge of God's Word. There's examples of that back on the resource table today. And you could talk to Thomas today about knowing more about God's Word. Even sp more specifically, the Old Testament, which, you know, for a lot of us is an overwhelming uh, part of the Bible. We don't know a lot about the Old Testament, but you can grow in your knowledge of God through His Word by participating in that survey. Sign up for the equipping classes that we have coming in the fall. We are going to have an equipping class that focuses on Bible study. How can you understand God's word? We're offering that both to men and women who want to just understand how to study the Bible and know God in it. Those are coming in the fall. We also, for those of you who are not yet members but want to become members, we have membership classes. A membership class is essentially the joint. It's like a connection point to help you come to know people better in the church and for you to be known better in the church. I know we had uh, our la a lot of our growth groups had their last meeting or they have their last meeting coming, so they've ended for the spring. But one of the ways that you can get connected at Summit Bible Church is to connect to a growth group. If you're not in a growth group already, this is really one of the main shepherding hubs and discipleship programs that we have in the church. It's life-on-life -life relationships in the context of a growth group. So I'd encourage you to get involved in those. If you want to be more proactive in evangelism, take the invite cards that are back on the resource table and hand those out to your coworkers, to your neighbors. A very practical way to bring people into the church. Maybe a very simple one is to go up to somebody today and go further than the shallow conversation of how's your week been, how's work, etc. Ask them how you can pray for them. Hey, is there, is there a way that I could specifically pray for you this week? That would be a great way, again, to go past the shallows of conversation and to get to know people more deeply. Maybe you're sitting there thinking of other applications, or maybe even during the sermon series, you thought, man, I really need to do this. I'd encourage you again to write it down and contribute. Participate in the growth and health of our church. And let's grow together.
Let's commit to it. Again, write down, make the plan so that you commit to it. And let's do that together. Talk. If you have questions, talk with an elder today. Grab one of our elders and talk with them about how you can be more connected at Summit Bible Church. And you can grow with us together. Excuse me. Let's commit our efforts to the Lord who ultimately causes us to grow. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize and, and just admit humbly that the church is Christ's. He is the head of the church. He causes the church to grow. And we also recognize that we are responsible. We've each been given gifts to use in service. We've been given measures of grace, Lord, to help contribute to the church and help it grow. God, I pray that you put on all of our hearts to contribute in greater ways, that we'd all make our efforts, that we'd all, each part would work properly. We would all do our job and see you, Lord, grow the church in that give you the glory for the great work that you're going to do in our church this week and the coming weeks and the years to come. I pray, God, that you'd help us be a healthy church. Help us to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. To, above all, love one another earnestly. To deeply and genuinely care for one another, caring for each other's needs physically or spiritually. I pray that you would knit our hearts together, God, in our mission. We would be united to make disciples, to be a part of that process. God, if we're not ready, if we're not equipped, help us to help those of us to be pursuing, equipping, that we would become uh, discipled, that we would pursue discipleship, we would do the discipleship lessons, Bible survey, whatever it takes to be equipped to disciple others. And that those of us who have been equipped God, that we would be pursuing others to disciple and taking the gospel out to those who don't know you. Help us to be committed in all of this together, Lord, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.